Welcome to the Rugby Bits podcast brought to you by bet.co.za. Thank you for listening wherever you listen to your podcast. Please subscribe and drop a five-star rating with your preferred podcast provider to share this podcast with the rugby world. Please also visit bet.co.za for some awesome deals and markets for not only rugby, but for all the other sports as well. My name is Tyler, and today we are only two people in the squad. It's only myself and Cooks today. Um, Cooks coming off a nice two to three week um, rest in, in, in Cape Town. He's now rested and refreshed and ready to go. Rumors are that he only, he didn't want to participate in the podcast because Finn Russell wasn't playing in the test. Is that true, Cooks? Those those rumors may be true because I mean I, I did miss the the last two podcasts and I, I thought maybe let me let me come back only because the only because the box of one but I think my return is scared of Sean and <laughs> Sean and Jared. Yeah, we are we have a lot we have a chock a block full of um, test rugby to discuss. We're going to obviously spend some time looking at the Springboks versus Wales games. We're going to look at the post mortems in New Zealand and in Australia after Ireland and England won their test series. We're going to look at Argentina's last-minute win of their series against Scotland. We're going to talk about um, Chile also um, qualifying for the Rugby World Cup. So there's a lot to get to. So this um, two-man squad with, um, I don't know if we're the bomb squad, if Sean and Jared are the bomb squad, I'm not too sure. But yeah, this is the, the, the Rugby Bits podcast has more rotation than a Jacques Nidab squad right now, right, Cooks? Hundred percent, because we, the, the, the amount of work we're doing now is uh, is proper. So I definitely think I'll get this way in. <laughs> no, then that's perfect. Let us start with our first phase um, question for the week. And this week we it was relatively simple. We were just asking people who their um, players of the July Test series were. So we're going to talk um, through some of the candidates that were offered by um, different um, people on Twitter. But Cooks, let me ask you, um, we're obviously going to go through all the test matches, so I'm sure we'll talk about some of these players again. But yeah, just list out some of the players that impressed you in July. Yeah, I think um, it, 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 there's a massive list of players that um, that, uh, that impressed me. If you look at in New Zealand, they probably won't find a single player in the whole country that, that has impressed them. Um, <laughs> but I thought... Um, 2016 in the Ireland series, Ireland was my player of the tournament and etching it above someone like Peter Omani, someone like Tyburn. Tyburn should actually be nominated for player of the year for that ridiculous 10 minutes he put together at the end of, on Saturday, which mm. is probably one of the greatest 10 minutes I've ever seen on a rugby field. Um, but I thought 2016 in, in, in that series, I thought um, Courtney Laws again, I think he's... If there's ever doubts about him being world class, I think he's gotten better every uh, every year. He seems to get better and better and better. And I, I was I, I was thinking about him the other day, and I was like on Sunday, I was like, man, I remember when, we, when he first started, he was like ill disciplined, and he he just seemed like this guy that's like hard man, and and it just, it just feels like ever since he's made the permanent shift to to blind side, he's just become one of the best blind side flanks. He's and and, and like, like you put him in your tweet this morning. Afternoon, he's, he's he's in he's in that world class category. But I think for me, my player of the June series, the guy that impressed the most was Tommy Riffle. I think Tommy Turnovers. Mm. I think to make a debut in South Africa against arguably the best pack in the world, and to be man of the match in the second game, I thought it was good on Saturday as well. But young coming, and, and like I said, to do it to do it in South Africa against that box, to, against that box side, I thought he was. 
phenomenal. I thought he was the just the, the, the impetus he gave Wales, the, the turnovers, the, the turnovers, but just he was an absolute menace. Um, shout out Damien Williams as well. I thought he was the best pop. And um, but yeah, I think yeah, there's there's a growing list of I could name the whole Irish team, but um, but yeah, listen, those are those are my players of the of the last series. Yeah, I think that's actually a good point that you make, Cooks. Um, that I think there's also a few players that probably um put up their hand as being world class players. Um, in in this um, July period, that maybe if you weren't familiar with them because you're in the Southern Hemisphere or the Northern Hemisphere, you watch Super Rugby or URC or or whatever, that you're now aware of these certain players. So I think just to add to the players that you mentioned, like the I can call them the players that became world-class if they weren't world-class already. Um, I would go Freddie Stewart. Um, he had a great November series, but he backed it up there in Australia, winning man of the match in the final test. Probably the best um, aerial ball specialist in the world right now. And also a great finisher as well. He moves quite well for, for, for a person that's almost two meters tall. Um, Josh van der Fleer, um, the... Often mentioned Josh van der Fleer on this podcast. We're big fans of him, of course, our South African Boichi. He played really well in this um, series. He was probably, I think he was the top tackler in all three tests, or at least two of the three tests. And you can see his importance in, in, in their game plan as well, that he was always the person that could get that important tackle. He made a few turnovers, not necessarily on the ground, but within the tackle as well. He was really good with that. Um, not necessarily newly world-class, but I want to give a shout-out to Rory Dodge, um, the Scottish flanker. You know, I don't know if it's me maybe not being so good with um, uh, maybe look, th thinking all white guys look the same, but Rory Dodge just, he looks at the same time like Hamish Watson and Jamie Ritchie at the same time. I don't know how and why, but he looks like both of them and he kind of plays like a mix of both of them as well. But yeah, he's amazing. And I'm not sure what um, Gregor Townsend will do with that, the mixture of their loose trio. But, you know, if you put in Richie at six and you have Dodge off the bench or you could put Richie off the bench, you'll have a good loose trio combination with those three. And um, Matt Ferguson also had a great series at eighth man as well. And of course, we know how good Hamish Watson is. So those, I think, were some of the good players that maybe people weren't aware of them before this series that, really stepped it, up, stepped it up for them. And you mentioned um, Damien Willemse in that list as well. Um, let's, let me go through some of the people that were mentioned on Twitter. Um, I think one that was quite big, and Andre um, Gil mentioned him, was Billy Vanipola. And he had a big mm. return to test cricket, um, test cricket, test rugby right now. <laughs> to be fair, they were playing at SCG, so I get why the confusion between rugby and cricket. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think he he really returned his yeah, he returned to test rugby in a in a big way. He showed like that he's someone that is that is to be um to be reckoned with. So keeping on that theme, um a player that we are obviously big fans of, Owen Farrell was probably also near the top of like player of the tournament type of um players as well. Sharky mentioned, um Cape Sharky mentioned Peter Omani as well. Um we talked about Damon Willemser. Tug Burn, we've been talking about as well. Dan Sheehan, um, the hooker from um, Ireland as well. He had a great series. Then um, we've mentioned Courtney Laws, 
Um, people have mentioned Dan Bigger, um, Jamison Gibson Park has been good at, at at nine for Ireland. And then when you see some of the the teams, um, there was a team of the tournament um, sent out or uh, made by um, Ben Coles, um, the rugby reporter for um, the Daily Telegraph. And some of the players that he mentioned there was um, Ellis Genge. He had a great series from um, Lucid. He seemed to have a personal vendetta against an Australian at every match. Um, we saw what he did to Michael Hooper in the second test, and we saw what he did to poor Samuel Karevi in the third test. He just rearranged his whole um, internal organs. Yeah, I think I think maybe Damien Dillon sent him a text just to try to sort of get him. Damien was still fighting for the world's best 12 titles. He sent, probably sent Genji a text to try to take out Karevi, but I uh, agree, Genji is <laughs> absolutely... But that was that was one of the biggest carries I've seen because Sam Kirby is not a small man, Mm-mm. and he just brushed him off so easily. It was actually quite scary. Um, someone that's always in these lists, Evan Etzebeth, he had a great series. He obviously um, brought up his hundredth test. Shout out to him. We we're going to talk about him later. Audi Sevilla had, I think, he was trying to win that yeah. test match by himself on Saturday. So I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him in the next few moments. And he's only um, one of those guys in the back. All his performance probably goes on the radar because the the team lost, but he was absolutely incredible in 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 in, in, in well, also the two tests because the second test you got you got yanked off early for for the, the red card and all of that 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 that, that confusion. But the first test, obviously, went back the, the, the second of the, the second of period where he just basically when he scored that try, I think he carried about six times in that move. And it was just yeah. like it almost just felt like I'm going to win this game on my own. I don't know what our tactics are, but what I want to do is I'm going to win this game single-handedly. And for about 20 minutes, Ireland was like, there's nothing we can do for you. There's, there's nothing we can do to stop you. <laughs> oh, man, he was, Audi was incredible. Unstoppable on Saturday. I think another one that goes a little bit under the radar um, from the Welsh side was Kieran Hardy, who was just box-kicking. His box-kick was so accurate throughout the, the, the test series. Yeah, he was good as well. I thought he... Especially the first two tests, I thought he put our, our wingers under massive pressure, and, and especially the way Wales tend to play against us, which is a box kicking game. I thought he was very, very good. I mean, you keep the likes of Gareth Davies and Thomas Williams off the, off the bench, but and also Ken Hart is fairly feeling experienced. So I thought he, yeah, he gave me a good game. Our guy, as well, sorry to shout out uh, Hugo Keenan. You, you, you wrote on the, on the yes. group saying it's an, another game, another day, another game where Hugo Keenan just has. Just, just, just has a good game. I just thought on Saturday, like every time the Orbex sort of kicked or you thought there's going to be a space, he just, he just cleaned up everything that happened at the back. And he's just yeah. like, he's one of those guys who, like, for example, like Freddie Stewart's got the height. That's just one, one, of the, one thing that Cashew have noticed. Will Jordan is a freak. He's good speeds. Like, like Willa Roo's got his ability. But like, you're the king, just from all he, got, all, he, all he does every week. He's just got, he just, he has, he has no weakness. He just, he just ticks off boxes, good in the air. Good ball in hand. He can make good decisions in the field. Good pace, good boot. He just does everything right. And, and, and it's almost like there's no, there's not a big massive trait that makes him something special. He just, he, he does a whole bunch of little things well in, in during the game and you blink and you're like, this guy's had another 8 out of 10 game. No, there's, I don't know if Rob Carney is the right comparison, but I get it because he's just consistent and he's good at all the basics that you need from a fullback. Hundred percent. I mean, Rob Connie 
I mean, Rob Cody, I mean, he was, he was the master of base. Ireland had no backfield for like 10 years. It was basically Rob Cody cleaning up everything. <laughs> That's how good he was. But I thought, no, I thought Hugh Keenan was very, very good again. Like, unassuming, just uh, does his job, but he's, he does his job at a level that's very, very good. Also, putting himself in a conversation, just putting the, the mix of one of, one of the best fullbacks in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, two quick shout-outs to um, some of the new heroes of the July stage, which is two players from the Chile team, um, Rodrigo Fernandez, who scored that brilliant try in the rain um, last week. And then this week, he also created a great try as well for the other player, which is Santiago Videla. He is the kicker for Chile. He got in nine out of 10 of his kicks in that, um, in those two-legged, in the two-legged match against the US. He scored the late try that put them um, level with the US. And then he was able to kick the, the penalty over as well. So he was obviously key in, 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 in getting um, Chile through. So he's the winger. And then Rodrigo Fernandez is the fly half. And we're, yeah, we're going to talk about Chile a little bit later, but yeah, we're looking forward to those two and, and the Chile team um, playing in, in the Rugby World Cup next year. So let's move on to the Springboks versus Wales um, uh, recap. Um, South Africa had a, had their, more, of their, more of their way in this test than they did um, in the first two tests. They won it um, 30 points to 14. Um, the first interesting fact about that score is that the difference between the two teams in this test is more than the difference between the two teams uh, in, in the last four tests. So the winning uh, margins from the last four tests did not are not greater than 16 points, which is which just shows how close these two teams are when they play a test match together. But yeah, the Springboks were able to build a 10-0 lead, and then every time Wales looked to be coming back, it seemed like the Springboks were able to score a key try or to get a penalty just to extend that lead um, back out as well. Um, I think there were two key p- points in the match. The first key point was um, Bongi Bonambi's rolling more try at the end of the first half. Wales was just looking to come back into the game at that stage. And um, in, with that try, Bonambi was able to just stretch out that lead back to more than two, two scores. And then the second one was um, there was, and, and it, it also ended up into being a try at some stage. Oh, sorry, actually it ended up being a penalty, was when um, Eben Etzebeth charged down that box kick from Kieran Hardy, and then they were able to force a penalty turnover at that time. So the Springboks were able to win the big moments, they controlled set pieces, and they actually were able to execute and to score points from their opportunities as well. Cook, let's just start with uh, your general impression of um, last weekend's match. I think, I think the first impression was the good game of rugby as well. I thought I, I, I might think the score maybe maybe doesn't 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 sort of give Wales the the love it looks, but I thought Wales I thought Wales did I thought Wales played well. I thought the box sort of showed again like is why they one of the best teams in the world, if not the best team in the world, because like you said, whenever Wales sort of tried to get back in the game, the box found a way to the box found a way to to pull ahead, which is what quality teams do. So I thought Wales were good, but the box was just slightly better. Um, I, I love the way the box, but I, th- I think the biggest difference for me in, in the box performance in the first two days, I thought our, I thought our, our full pack was really, really dominated. I thought, I thought our pack was good this weekend, you know, with those big games from here, but Sia had a good game as well. Massive with his carries. Quacha was good off the bench. Um, yes, but those two, those two mistakes, but I thought he was busy. Bongi is, I mean, Bongi is always going to give, give a massive ball, a mess on his 50th, but 
I thought the box fours were able to assert themselves a lot more in this game, and that for me was a big difference. I thought and allowed us also to to play a little bit more. You know, it's you know a lot is said about the box the box attack attack. You know, we dive deep into it, but the thing about attack is at the end of the day is you still got to earn the right to go wide. As we said, you still got to you still you still got to create momentum. And I thought Wales were very good at stopping that momentum in the first two tests, but also in this test there was a lot more intent of playing balls behind. Like hitting the pot and the pot and the pot around his back. Um, I thought Jan Henriksen was also very good. I thought Jose, he gave a different sort of impetus. Um, or one way we sort of we sort of allowed the, the guys to get going. But yeah, I, I thought in general the box were good. I think um, that's the performance that they sort of you you're hoping was about to come. I know the first test we showed it for about uh, in the second half in in patches, but didn't have to win it. Second test. Obviously, it's a different side and inexperience doesn't help us when we close it. But I genuinely thought the third was one way the box needed to put together performance there and they found it. And and it's also, which is credit, which is for me, credit to Wales, who I thought, I thought had a very good tour. And, and shout out to Wayne Pivak, who's had a hard time on this part and a hard time this year. But if the box, if the box were, I thought the box were about, a, about eight out of ten, seven and a half, eight out of ten in the weekend. If the box weren't there, they would have lost the series, and and because and 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 that's how far well pushed the box in this tour. So, but yeah, it was a good box performance, and I think it's very encouraging going into the rugby championship. Yeah, I think that's that's true, Cooks. It's a good summation of the game that it the forwards not that they were playing badly the last two tests, but the forwards did put some distance between themselves and Wales, and they capitalized on on the set piece. They they weren't. They didn't really make too many mistakes in either the lineouts or giving away too many scrum penalties, especially in the second half. The rolling mall was working and it was um, not being disrupted by Adam Beard as much. And the big place where I think the Springboks had a big advantage was the carrying game of the Springboks, that they were getting meters pretty much in every carry that um, they they took, especially when you see the build-up for that first pollard try. Um, I think probably, and we can talk about it when we talk about it from the Wales perspective, a big factor for Wales maybe not performing as well, or two big factors was you can see that the petrol tank was quite low for Wales at some stage. That you know every time they were getting close, the box were able to just to pull away. There was I think that one line out in the second half where Wales, I think they were within seven points at that stage, and then um, Dowie Lake, the reserve hooker, he overthrew um, the line out, and they were five meters away from the Springbok line, and I think from that. From that line out, Wales realized that, okay, we're not going to win this um, test series. The petrol is out for them. And then the second um, important factor was them losing Talupe Falatau before kickoff and Dan Lydiot within the first 10 or so minutes. Um, those are obviously two massive players um, in, their, um, in the test series. Falatau just does all the little things so well. He can do a big carry. He's great with the tackling and... He just impacts the game in so many ways. And then Lydiot was just t- tackling everything that moved in Bloemfontein. And unfortunately, he, was, he wasn't able to finish um, the game um, on, on Saturday. So, you know, you have a bit of a makeshift loose trio now with Will Rollins at six. You, um, at Alan Wynn Jones is playing a lot more minutes than maybe he, um, Pivak would have wanted him to. Josh Navidi's in the game now. It just wasn't the same with, um, with that loose trio than the trio that they had on Saturday. And, the box capitalized that, you know, the box won't run away with a game. They won't score 20, 30 points in 10, 15 minutes like the All Blacks do or even the French do or Ireland. 
but they will just chip away at you slowly but surely just until you submit. And you can see throughout all their games where they are dominating or are playing well from the first minute that you you think you're in the game, but a, a seven-point lead or a 10-point lead against the Springboks, it feels like a 20-point lead against most other teams. And it just gets further and further and further as, as the game goes on. So let's talk about the aspects of the game that impressed us the most or the players that impressed us the most. Crooks, let's start, let me start with you. Are there players or are there parts of the game that impressed you the most? I mean, I mean, Evan was sensational. I think um, he's been, I think Evan, because he's so good, I think, and, 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 and I think Evan is, if you look at last, probably last year and this year, he's, I, don't, I don't know how World Rugby didn't, didn't put him in the play, but He's, he's, he's arguably one of the top three, three to five rugby players in the world in form-wise and, and consistency-wise. And he's, he's been very good. Even the first two tests where he was good, but it wasn't at the, the urban level we sort of know and, and the high stand we hold him to. And, and, and the weekend, he was, he was back to that. And I thought on Saturday, he'd get he in an amazing game again. And But for me also, like, I mean, we know Damon Williams he was very good at, as well, and, and him in that 12 channel. And, and I was really glad that um, I know a lot of, there's a lot of said on social media times, like maybe Damon should have gone on the wing, but I think it's, it's a question we've asked as well on Twitter, like, and we've asked as fans, and how could Damon cope at 12 in an international game? And we sort of got to answer that question, and we sort of see the confidence he has now. I think. For me, he was the best player in the entire season. He was good, very good again on the weekend. And, and, I, and I just think he's going to add something so much different to the box, especially the way he's playing. Now. And, and it's, it's so different. He's still got the like for like, not the like for like, but he's still got the something like Billy coming off the bench, which, is, which has been very good. But I think for me, the biggest, the two players, I thought Eben and Damien on the standouts, Quaka obviously off the bench was, was amazing. But uh, yeah, but I think our attack, the our attack was was something that 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 did encourage me. I think it's not where I'm sure the coaches wanted to be. And this is for everyone that likes to vet about the book. Guys, attack is hard. Putting together great attack shape is difficult. It, it things are gonna break before it gets better. Things are gonna look gonna fall apart, and it doesn't look good. And this knock on. So I thought on Saturday we could have sort of a glimpse of what it could look like when. When it gets right, and attack is the thing where you need more time. But I genuinely do think that there's patches there, there's those glimpses of the weekend. You're like, man, once we get this, once we get this right, we can we can definitely hurt sides. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that. The attack was that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a yeah. I was actually wanting to also have that discussion, and I think there's a glass half full and a glass half empty outlook with the attack. The glass half empty, if you want to start with the negative side, is there does see, still seem to be a lot of one-off runners at times. And, you know, <clears throat> in the first two tests, you know, we didn't have the opportunity of Wales giving us weaker shoulders, of Nick Tompkins tackling high and falling off tackles like he was doing in at least two of the tries. Um, there was no Dan Lydiot, you know, those sorts of things helped with the Springboks just getting over the advantage line the whole time. So if that is stopped like it was in the first two tests, what do the box do? But if you look at, at it from a, a glass-half-full approach, um, there's some things that are happening there. Um, I think I tweeted during the game that you can see that, you know, um, Brostick and um, 
Jacques Nina while cooking something here because, you know, there was that one play, um, Cooks, uh, I don't know if you remember it, which was almost a try, but it was a forward pass, where there was a line-out that came to the middle of the field and then Lucanio Am came from the wing and he was the scrum-off. Pops it over to um, Jaden Hendrickser. He makes the break on, on the wing and then Hendrickser passes it inside to Am, but it was a forward pass. Actually looked like more like Tom Brady than Jaden Hendrickser, to be honest. Yeah. And um, then it was ruled out. But that was innovative. That was great. Yeah. There was a few other moves. You had um, uh, Lord Diacha popping out of the back door um, to, um, to Andre Pollard, and that created space for Kulisi out wide. So the shape is coming, and I think it's just one of those things where, like you said, Cooks, it'll take some time. Like, I think as a Springbok fan, the one thing that you just want to see is progress. And you can see this, the, the building blocks are getting there. And it's definitely a lot better than it was in that first half of that first test where I'm not sure what was happening. And yeah, it, 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 I think it's, it's almost more frustrating now that you can see how well the box did in the third test. But that first, te- that first half of the first test, it just seemed like the box were like, no, we're not going to try to kick. We're not going to try to, uh, or we're going to kick the whole time. We're not even going to try to even pass twice at every phase, um, at any phase. And we're going to just play this like Domkrach conservative rugby. And, you know, I'm not asking the box to do like barbarian rugby, but, you know, they, they, they're much better than they, they let on. So there's some things that are happening. Sometimes Damien Dallander um, takes the ball up as the first receiver and passes out the back door. There is some things happening. It's not that much of Vili, please help us. Lucanio, please help us. Cheslin, please help us in, in the attack. Yeah, the one thing that, and this is my sort of imp- most impressive player, uh, apart from the ones that you mentioned, I thought Damon Villipsa should have been the man of the match um, personally, but you know it was Eben's 100th game. But the one player that was really impressive, that a great series, and if there's a winner from this test series um, in terms of their position in the Springbok squad, and that's Vili LaRue. And look, I'm not the biggest Vili LaRue fan, but I definitely see his value. And you can see how much better the Springbok attack is when LaRue's at 15 and it makes Pollard have more confidence. It makes Willems have more, has more, have more confidence in the inside backs. He's able to orchestrate things. You can see when, you, when the camera's on him, you can see him talking um, and, and, and talking things through with Pollard or with Willems such as go, here's opportunity. He's calling the shots. He's directing the forwards where to go. He's telling the scrum off where to pass. And he orchestrates that that attack so well. So that's a good thing because obviously Vili is coming back into form and not the almost him trying to do too much like he was doing last year. It's it's a little bit worrying to a sense because while Willems has been great and he's been a revelation in this test series, there's still a, quite a difference between um, Willems being at fullback and Vili LaRue being at fullback. And his ability to... Um, just take the make the right decision and to get the 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 rest of the backs involved. It's unparalleled, and it's I, I call it I call it the Pollard tax. Like if you're gonna play Andre Pollard, Pollard is great in a lot of things as a fly half. His kicking game is fantastic. He can take the line by himself. He has decent defense, but he's not the most creative like orchestrator of an attack. So if we're gonna play Pollard and there's not really much better options at ten, then we almost need to play Larue from the start because he's the one that can help orchestrate and 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 organize our, our attack better. So he he's one 
uh, he's been one of the winners, if you can call it, um, in the Springbok squad. Because while Willemsen played and he played really well, he, he showed that he can come off the bench or he can start, when, in my opinion, he should be starting, in order to give impact and, 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 and attacking impetus to the team. He saw that his other competitors, you know, the Church of Fassi, the the gathering of Khalant, that they also fell off during the course of the second test as well. So Villarou's position is more than secure now in the Springbok team. And if I'm sure the coaches themselves weren't doubting him, but in terms of the public perception, he still will have obviously his his detractors, but most sensible rugby fans will see that, you know, this guy is the one that's going to take us to the Rugby World Cup. So I, I, I actually want to ask you, Cooks, about you know, the, the use of Villarreal and, you know, do we have maybe too much of a dependence on him? Do we see him in our best teams being this player 23 or should he be playing from the start? Um, yeah, let's talk about how Villarreal has played not only in this test, but in the whole series. I think um, we, we've seen that in the first, well, the, the two tests he's played, especially, especially, especially the impetus of the game in the first test, going for the base of the game, sort of changed when he came on in halftime. Um, the biggest thing with, with, with Philly has always been, like, like I think with Philly is, like you said last year, where you sort of struggled, and um, but it, just like you said, it was a, a team struggle, and Polo wasn't playing as well, and it sort of faltered down. And when that happens, sort of a lot gets asked of Philly, and where Philly sort of try to create something, and, and it's hard to create something almost out of nothing when you, you are going backwards, and like a lot of guys aren't in form, and, 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 and shame with, with Philly, I want to say, because the perception is, especially when you when you're trying something and, and, and it doesn't pull off, it always looks bad. You know, you try to skip pass, no one's there, and I roll. Excuse me, it rolls into touch, or you know, like you look for a grabber, you should have passed, and things like that. Especially when he wasn't playing well. And I think Villy, what is this because of those guys when he's in playing well? If you can't create, he's he's always looking for something, always looking for that big play, always looking to create something, even if it's there's nothing on. And sometimes it may look bad because. It just looks bad. It just looks worse because, like, oh man, that's not on. Oh, really? One try hold, and he's like, guys, like, why must I make the? I could make the simple play, but this is also on as well. But I thought the use of Vili, and you are right. I think there is a difference between obviously Damien Williamson and Vili at fifteen. I think, I think with Vili, that experience he, he does bring, and obviously when he's cooking, just he's able to link everything together. And I thought because he's been running that attack for so long, he sort of knows the attack the way the box play almost like, like the back of his hand. And now the box sort of express themselves a little bit more, balls coming out more. It sort of lends more to Willie's to repertoire because now he's not playing, let's say, maybe of eighth-phase ball and the lot, it's the last attack before Ken, I think, is on with a box. Now he's getting on the third phase. Maybe the ball's popping out fifth phase. And now you can sort of cook from there. And, and, and I think the use of him at, off the bench, I, it almost, I, I do like it because it's an option of uh, Damien there. I think at 15, you do have you do have um, something different. Like you said, like with Damon, for example, whenever the 59 times, or almost feels like 9 times 10, he's trying to run the players, just got good enough feet to try and beat players, good enough feet to just try and sidestep and create something. And I think we've all, it's a great link up, man, brings guys together. It's canceled beat players, but doesn't have the feet of like a Damon Willemsa. But I also think of Willemsa, I think at 15, I think more time in the cell at 15. Will, will benefit him because he hasn't played much 15. He's played, he played about two or three games in the storm of the 15, but majority has been at 12. And I, I thought for me, the better he got for the, he, the, he looked better when he, when he came 
second half at 10, look even better when he's at 12, where he's getting more touches of the ball, closer to the action. And I think he's sort of, for me, Damian Williams is in the 10, 12 range or 12, 10 range, can cover 15. And I agree with you. I think Vili does need to, I'll, I'll have him from the start. But then now with Damian Williams, I think it's, now he answered that question because he's playing, he's playing very well. Who, who's the person that misses out? Yeah, that's good. And like, it's, it's, it, it makes it very interesting. And the one advantage, I think you mentioned it just earlier about when Cheslin went out and it does sound like he's going to be out for a while because he, um, the first reports are that he fractured his cheekbone. But when Cheslin came out and then we had a bit of a makeshift backline, it did answer some questions that we've had as Springbok fans. We saw Damien Willemson now play at 12 next to Henry Pollard and how that looks. And just seeing him, you know, and I think we can talk about what Jacques Nienaube learned from this test and the test series in general, um, Hooks. But I think one big lesson for Jacques is that Damien Willemse is a test quality inside center and that he's able to play as an inside center. He's not obviously as robust and direct as Damien Dialinder or Andre Esthazen, but he is able to, you know, impose himself physically. Um, you can ask Dan Beggar about it. He was almost not running away from the from contact, but he was having a hard time putting Willemse down in most of those phases. And I mean, Willemse is not the biggest 12 in the world, but Dan Beggar was making him look like um, prime David Barry. He was just running at him constantly. And it's just that footwork that Willemse has that he can just take that little step and, and just target a, a weak shoulder and just, you know, make a tackle, a much less effective tackle by with his footwork. And I agree with you, Charles, because like you said, like him and, for example, um, Roger Trivasa-Shek, for example, is they're both almost in a similar build. They're not, they're not, they're not big. And I thought, like, well, their biggest strength is their is they feet. Anyway, it's like, because, they, yeah. because they've got good feet, they're always able to find a soft shoulder or, or find an arm. Or it's, it's, like, it's hard to line them up because you said they're good enough, they beat you, and, they, and they're very explosive as well. So... It's a slight step and, and explosion to contact and the, the ball is getting meters. Whereas sometimes, you look at the opposite last year when the, when the All Blacks played us with Dave Avila, they just kept sending him but down the channel as if like, as a one-off run. I'm like, like, like Dave Avila was always dominating the contact. Like, he doesn't have the size. Whereas like, with Damien and like, and like RTS, it's, they both, their feet are so good. It gets them, everyone, everyone looks for that big side step where they put the guys on the floor and open play. But actually, their footwork comes in handy in close contact situations. Because they can beat you and then explode so quickly. If you're sleeping, like if you're sleeping, you, you might slip off him. But also, they know, like in situations where maybe they 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 miss someone bigger, their feet's good enough to get them outside of the shoulder, running into arms, and that's and that's where you want them. Also, and also, they both good enough to get the offload off. So, I think that's the value Damien can bring. Uh, Damien Brunson can bring at twelve, which for the box is great because now you have or almost a, a, a double threat of you, you got the threat of Damien Delindy, you got a threat of something of Damien Willemser. And I think I wouldn't be surprised going forward with shocking number. You can almost you can almost miss and match horses for courses, or maybe we can go with at 15 for this sort of game. And then you can go with Damien in this sort of game. Second half maybe we can get potentially shift uh, like, like during the weekend, like shift someone to the wing and then Willemser at 12. So I think that's also one of the things that Damien Willemser has brought and Willie off the bench was also brought there's sort of more, there's more questions that the box can ask from the opposition because now Williams has been good, Willie's good in, in different roles than they've had before. So I think that's, for me, the exciting thing. Yeah, I think 
that it, it also showed how the Springboks were able to just integrate quite a few playmakers in different positions. Um, you know, we had one, a backline with Pollard, Willemse, LaRue, and I'm on the wing. So those are all four players that are more creators than like finishers or, 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 or um, direct players, like someone like Dialinda and, and Mapimpi. And it was so good just seeing how they were sort of dovetailing um, with each other. And they'll get better. They'll obviously need more chemistry together, but it just showed some of the potential that the Springbok backline can have at times. And we, we can hopefully tap into that in future tests. Um, quick, let's ask... I think there's two ways of asking this question. Um, you can take it. You can take it either way. Either what did Jacques Niedabel learn from this test series, or who do you think are sort of the big winners in in, in the Springbok squad um, from this test series? Like maybe players that have established themselves as you know a much higher choice, or usurped um, like someone that they were battling for a spot with, or, or however you want to take it. So. The winners in the box squad or maybe the lessons that Jacques Nienaber learned um, in the last three weeks? I think for Jacques Nienaber, I think, like you said, he, he managed to get all, I think it's 42 in the squad, all of them, they all managed to get some game time. And I think that's a massive thing for him. And I think you sort of see in that, in that hierarchy, you know, in the Jacques video, I mean, there's a video in on um on Twitter we talked about the, the roadmap of some of the guys and it'd be so interesting to see what those roadmaps are. But I think Yeah, it's brilliant. And I think for Jacques it's I think the biggest thing for him is 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 all is all those guys getting game time. And I, and um I know it sounds cliche to say, but I think as a coach, if you are able to sort of the tour almost goes according to plan except for the ten minutes on on the, the last fifteen minutes fifteen minutes in bloom. And and I and I thought for Jacques, I think the biggest things you'll take is Willie's playing well again, which is important. Um, he's answered the Damien the, the Damien Williams conundrum about him being the the front day in the six two split. Um, I think that's massive. Um, I think he's more he's gonna be happy that guys are, are sort of coming back into form. The likes of Sia, um, Pollard Pollard looked a lot better in the third test than in the second test. I think the second test also. I think Paul is he's playing himself back into form. I think the third is a lot better. Um, I think he's got answers. Jenny Hendricks is someone that's probably impressed him. And we stepped up now at, at nine, for example. We have potentially four possible test quality nines in Faf, Herschel, Kubas Reinach, and Jenny Hendricks. And, and, and now that creates a, another conundrum for a good conundrum to have. And I think, for me, I think Jacques will take a lot of a lot, a lot from this depth-wise. I think that that's what he wanted to see. I think someone like Kurtley Arons uh, stepped up, and I think um, you look at in the second test, and the hard thing is it's hard when you make 14 changes and all guys just come and play together. And that's why for me it's hard to judge those odds of one performance. I would love to see maybe if we do mix mix the size up again, maybe we, we, we make a we make seven seven changes as opposed to eight. Sort of maybe maybe a Pollard with a or, like I said, a Chalant with a Colby and a Mapimpi, or sort of you go Elton with Jaden Hendricks, and then you put Estes in it, and and Creel at 12 and 13, and so use those combinations. But I think player-wise, I think if you look at someone who's probably on the outskirts, I thought this has been a massive tour for Jaden Hendricks. Um, I, I think 
he's put himself in that competition. Maybe he potentially be fighting for five for the number one spot. I thought he had a, I thought he had a very, very good, good series. But I think we know the box now. They've got the Titan tested, and there's a reason why they try and test it. But I'm interested to see now, as we go to the championship, how we how we keep on trying to add in different faces, new faces, and sort of build from what we've done now. Yes, that'll be very important. And I like your idea, Cooks, and I'm, I think, more of a fan of just slowly integrating um, new players into the existing combinations instead of, you know, throwing out a completely new team. So I would definitely not mind, and there's not disrespecting the rugby championship or the opposition, but if there's a goal of having at least two or three changes to the, you know, existing um, first first um, first choice some um, twenty three um, every every match in 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 the rugby championship that'd be great. Then you're introducing eighteen players potentially to um, new and different roles. So you can start in the first test with Ron Okia playing at uh, sorry or sorry let's say Salman Murat playing at lock instead of Eben Etzebeth. He gets a bit of a rest. We can continue with David Willemse at twelve um, and start the game from that from um, with him at twelve. Um, Damon Dallin is on the bench, and then let's see how that goes. And then in the next test, we have um, let's say Apalele Fassi at, at at eleven and um, Thomas Tutoy at at, at tight end. And then slowly but surely, we're introducing players like that. Um, I think in terms of um, winners, another big winner. Not that he has changed anything, but it's now clear that Quaka Smith is the second choice um, option at open side flank, blind side flank, and eighth man. <laughs> so <laughs> definitely, yeah. All, all, he's MacGyver. Yeah, hundred percent. And and remember, he, he can play in the wing as well. Jardine, but did mention that as well. He's covered. <laughs> he, he covered one wing in the blue test. No, he's he's definitely covering all those bases now for for the Springboks, and you could see. And it was a little bit. I mean, Jogni Albert did um, 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 explain it, but um, we had um, Jasper Visa come off the game at about the 38th minute. Um, he was just not really doing as well with um, the carrying and his decision-making. And Jogni Albert basically said that he felt like um, Visa just ran out of, um, ran, ran low on like sort of his, 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 his impact on the game. So he wanted something different. But you can see that Quaka Smith brings, he has almost all three elements of the, of the first choice loose trio in, within him. You know, he has that defensive organization that Dwayne Vermeulen has, and of course the, the fetching, so he's able to turn um, ruck ball over or, or ball in the tackle. Like Peter Steph Dutoy, he has that work rate, he's everywhere, he's making big hits, making big impacts. And like Sia Colisi, he's a, I think you can call it a ruck animal, like someone that is at every ruck, he's able to just shift bodies away in the ruck. And in attack, he can, he's obviously, we know it from the sevens, he's great uh, in those outside tram lines where, you know, he has that ability and that power to either run around or run through someone if he needs to. And, you know, just like Colisi has as well, those outside, um, those those skills that he has on, on the wing. So, Quaker Smith, I think he's, you know, further established himself as the fourth option in the in the Springbok loose trio and if there's any injury to the first choice players he will he's the person that comes in and you know not saying that Visa didn't perform well because he had a great first test um himself but um Quarter Smith is the person that is going to be entrusted by the Springbok um 
coaching staff if, if there is some problem with our first choice loose trio. So he had, I think, a big impact with that. What did you think about um, the visa Quaja transition in the first half? Um, I, th- I thought, oh man, I, I, obviously I didn't think he'll see, see visa coming off so so soon, but I thought um, Quaja was, was unbelievable. I think the amount of value he he's he's added for the Springboks is is massive. I mean, last year he was a he was he, when Chris Stephen down, he was an absolute menace at at, 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 at flank, and now for him to to go into the eight jersey and still be and perform just as well, and um, I, I thought just with those two massive mistakes at scrum time, I think that was um, that was the, 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 it could have been cost, but it was not Jasper's best. But I thought he was busy, he was good, but it wasn't as good as someone like in that first test where he was an absolute monster, where he was ball carrying and just. So I thought the so it's always harsh to. Another box would say like they'll say that you, you're not being subbed because you're not playing well. You're subbed because, for example, you may not be making as you made you know you're not making as, as much impact because maybe you you hit the tank too quickly. You run you run out of gas and they they look for fresh legs. But I, I, I definitely would have probably thought that you, that just would have, would have maybe played the first ten minutes second half and then you throw in something like Quaka. But I mean Quaka just proved again like you said he proved his absolute value in the weekend and he was huge. Yeah, I think. You you saw the value of what Smith brings, and you know also you indirectly you see how difficult it is to replace someone like Dwayne Formulum. You need two players. You need the carrying ability of Jasper Visa and his aggression, and you need that defensive organization and fetching ability that Quaka brings as well. So let's turn over to the Welsh side of things, and I think Wayne Pivak has a lot a lot of he has a lot more positive um, things to take away than negative. So. Cooks, what do you think are the lessons that he takes from from this um, series? Yeah, I think you are, Tales. I think um, it's been a tough year for for the Welsh, and I think for them they were able to finish strong. I, th- I thought they had a good turn, and, th- and I think for the the Wales who look at themselves and think to themselves, "Geez, they, they they missed out a chance to win the series." I thought the first test they were very good. They were very good. They had a chance to win it, and then. Like you said, if bigger converts if bigger makes a conversion in the first test, it could be a different game. It's not a tied game. Um so I thought I thought I thought the, I thought the Welsh I thought the Welsh were good. I think from there, I think for the lessons they'll take is the biggest lesson is, for example, is Adam Beard showed you could step up in the number five jersey. That's massive. They got Tommy turnovers and and they got and they know that Dan Bigger is Dan Bigger is Dan Bigger's probably the guy going forward and just the experience of Edwin Jones, but I think for me, what what I like the most for Wales was the attitude, and I thought I know bigger gets a lot of flack, but I thought they came here, they were in our faces, they got stuck into us, and for me, I'd love to see that grunt even more in the Six Nations for them going forward because when they played like that, it was just like they just came here with this, with this like no nonsense, we're not taking any shit approach, and they were in our faces. It could have got the first year, the second, and then and then I thought also. Someone like Rhys Samuel is very good as well. It's nice to see him in form. He's, he's been struggling for a bit. But I thought those patches in the games, even the attack, the, the try that Tommy Raffles scored, I thought that was a very well-structured try. The try that the Josh, the winning tries, are a very well-structured try. They did certain things there. You thought, geez, going forward, they've got something here. And now hopefully they can keep guys fit. But I do think Wales are in a much better place now than they were, also, they were, than they were when they were in South Africa. No, that's true. And I think there's a few combinations that... Um... Pivac can take home um, from this um, July test series. 
Um, I think he's now found his perfect loose trio for when he's playing the Springboks, England and France, um, with Lydiot, um, Refo and, and Faletau, because you have the absolute balance that you need in, in facing those teams. You have Dan Lydiot, who's going to, you know, have 30 tackles in the game. You have um, Tommy Refo with his, and I mean, we talk about the turnover parts, but his work rate is high. His ball carrying is good. Obviously, he's, he scored the try, so you can see that he supports and he's active around the field as well. So he's bringing as much um, to the game as, as he can there. And of course, we are all aware about the world, the world-class ability of, of Tolupe Falatao. I think he's also sorted out the lock pairing as well. Um, you know, especially with Alan Wynn jones um, you know, he's, I don't know how old he is now, 63, 64, but him coming on in the last 20 minutes in a game, that's gold. I mean, if you're able to bring on someone like that in late in the game to either win you a game or to, um, uh, to, to maintain a lead or to try and sneak a, a win there, that's amazing. And that also puts pressure off, you know, Wales' reliance on Alan Wynn jones that he can be that player that plays, you know, 20, 30 minutes at the end. And if you think you need him for a big quarterfinal or something, then you can start him. And I'm sure he's still fit enough to play 80 minutes because he's one of the fittest players in the Welsh squad. So you've got the lock pairing. Beard was amazing in stopping them, rolling malls and with his long leg and long arms. And, you, you know, Wales had their struggles with the line out. They'll have to sort that out. But um, Beard was able to control things well. And Will Rollins, you know, it's tough playing against the Springbok locks, but he did a really good job there. And I love their um, inside-back combination as well. So, bigger Nick Tompkins had a great um, series. I think he just got tired in that third test because his tackling was just inaccurate, and it's usually a lot better than it was. George North had a great game. He was very quiet in the first two tests, but in this test, he got a lot more ball. He was, a, he was very involved. He did his job in defense as well. So, I think the Tompkins-North um, center combination is something that works. And yeah, Lewis Rezamid returning to form is, is big for them. Um, and, you know, having that combination with um, LRZ, Adams, and, and Liam Williams at the back, I think that'll be valuable because you can also insert someone like Cuthbert into that equation, McNichol, and those sorts of options. And shout out also to um, Gareth Anscombe and, you know, his return to, to test rugby after a lot of time out. And, you know, we know what he did in that second test as well. So, I think there's a lot of positives, but Wales, just like South Africa, they are the teams that play up and down to their opposition. So if it's a good team, they will then bring out everything and, and lay everything on the ground because you saw how they performed against France in the Six Nations and against England where they almost won. But if it's a less good um, team, you know, then it's Italy and they're losing to Italy and all that sort of stuff. So they just need to stop that because if they get more consistent and if all their big players are playing well. And, you know, you can still add in the likes of um, Tipperick into that. Navidi had a, had a smaller role to this. Um, Ken Owens is there. Um, Thomas Francis wasn't able to play in the test series. You know, you add all those players back, you know, that's a team that can go far in a World Cup. And the way the draw set up, there's no reason why you can't see Wales being in a, a rugby World Cup final. They, they have a favorable enough draw, and then they'll ha only have to beat one of the top four or five sides, possibly only in the semifinal. And that's more than possible for them. So I think it's a, it's, it's glass half full for Wayne Pivak. You know, he was probably about to lose his job after 
um, the Italy game and the, the squad that he selected without Jack Morgan, that was very controversial, but they really brought themselves credit. But I think for the challenge for Wales is they need to maintain this um, level for, for the Six Nations and going forward as well. And then finally, Quicks, your player of the series. I think from the, from the box side, it's uh, for me, Damon Willemson. I think he, in the, even, even when he came to the bench in the second tier, I thought he showed, his, he showed how, how well he's been playing this year. And obviously, if everybody gets step up, I think you saw him how, play, how well he played URC. And then for him to sort of take that form and carry it into, into, into the test series, I thought he was my man of man, man, the series with the box. Just probably even if it's just missing out. And then for, for Wales, uh, Tommy Turner was, I think he's, those are my two men of the series. Who do you got? Yeah, it's hard to go past um, Damien Willemser for the South African side. Um, I think he's announced himself as a test rugby player. He has the, he has, we've known he has the skill and the talent, but he brought in just the ability to make good players. And like, he can do pretty much everything that you can ask from a backline player now. He's great in the air. He's great in contact. He's probably the best offloader or the second best offloader in the team right now. He has the kicking game if needed. He can run the attack if he needs. He can finish in the attack if he needs to. Like, and his defense is also very strong. He made a few like uh, last man tackles in this test and in the first test as well. So he was brilliant. Um, on the Welsh side, I will give it to, um, yeah, it's flashy to give it to a wink, but I think Lewis Rizamit had a great series, especially considering that during the Six Nations, he fell off the first-choice team. So he showed his quality, his ability to break the game open with his running. He really gave Makazuola um, Mapimpi a lot of um, headaches, I think, um, just with his pace and his ability to break the game open. So, And, of course, in that first test, he scored the, the, those two tries. So he would be up there. Um, but big shout-out to Will Rollins and Adam Beard. You know, them combined can also be almost like a, a, a play, players of the series for, for, for the Welsh team. Okay, so I think let us put a, a, a cap on, on that um, discussion about South Africa versus Wales. There's a lot of other test matches to, to look into. And yeah, I think let's go first to New Zealand where, yeah, <laughs> I think we can, we can imagine there's a lot of consternation, a lot of discussion about um, Ireland winning their first test series in New Zealand and them being the first winners against New Zealand in a three test series since 1986, that this is only the fourth time. Um, actually, the fifth time New Zealand has lost a test series and the fourth time they've lost a three or more test um, series match. So Ireland won 32 points to 22 against the All Blacks, had a massive lead, a 19-point lead in the first half, 22 points to three. And then New Zealand made a big comeback in that third quarter but Ireland were able to just stretch that lead out and to secure the victory. Yeah, Cooks, there's a lot that we can get into in this match. And yeah, I, I, I think before we go into the post-mortem for the All Blacks, let's, I think we need to start the, with the winners. You know, Ireland, we've talked about that performance from Tark Byrne in, the, in those last 20 minutes, but that the Irish structure in the attack, Cooks, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there's there's few things in rugby that make me more excited than knowing I can watch Ireland and, and watch Johnny Sexton cook like his ability and the Irish team is team's ability to to play that structured attack. It's such a good thing to watch. And really New Zealand had no answers for that. Yeah. I think Ireland have, 
arguably put themselves in contention for probably the best attack in the world. I think also, but New Zealand doesn't, the way the New Zealand defence also did allow them to to sort of to sort of play because you didn't do sort of stand off and just, well, just going to keep numbers on their feet, but that's, that's, that's still, you got to give a lot of the credit to the, to the Irish attack. And, and remember, we watched the game this year, you and I, and a few of the guys were at, um, I think at Mitchell's, the Wales versus Ireland game, and we were, we were all impressed with Ireland's ability to create a ball. And I think every year, Andy Farrell's added piece, bits and pieces to the attack, which is why I say attack is, is such a hard thing to do. If you, ask, you can ask Ireland, 2020, when Farrell looked like we were wondering, like, what they're, what they're going to do in attack? What are they trying to build? Then last year, you sort of saw the glimpses come together, but now, sort of, sort of almost a full fruition of it coming in. I thought they were very good. I thought obviously, there were all these options, all these runners, and the dummy runners, and also what, I think for me, what makes it so special is the two wingers, in Hansen and James Lowe. Wingers that can also come in in the first channel, can also come and take pressure off, can hit runners, can almost play in a 10 role. So now 16 is just basically floating all over him, and he's just finding runners, hitting runners, and yeah, that attack is unbelievable. The, the ability at rock time, and just that Sexton, Hansen, Low, three almost three very good ball players. Then you then you adding the Aki, the Henshaws, the the Keenan, but I was seeing the backline, Sexton, Low, and and Hansen just popping up everywhere. I mean, for I think there was a trial where Hansen put James Low into into a gap, and then sort of then led to a trial. You know, that's two wingers on one side put each other into a gap, and yeah, the attack is so instructed, and and and. and, and I love us to say there's still room to grow. And I think there is, because obviously the the biggest thing is now is against Ireland and Leicester is what happens when teams get front up physically. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how they add on to this attack because at the moment it is absolutely cooking. Yeah, and you've, I think, answered, I think, one of the big concerns and the maybe the one reason why the world is not as a, still holding off giving Ireland their flowers is what happens if a bigger team comes to them. And, you know, their first test in November is against the Springboks. So we can see how the game, how the game looks against a team that won't, you know, give them go, that go forward ball in, up front. And, you know, the Irish backs obviously have a lot of credit for how they organize themselves, but it only comes from the forwards and their ability to, you know, pass out of contact or to be link players or to run dummy lines or to ruck and just clean the ball um, when they get there. And, you know, you know, with Sam Kane and Audi Severe in your team, you'd expect that your team is going to be able to do a few rack turnovers at times or to put pressure on the ball. And in the first test, there was periods of the game where the All Blacks were putting pressure on the Irish ball. But since then, it's pretty much been all Ireland in those racks. And they just clean those racks so well. And it's it's pretty much the whole pack, but it's especially um, players like um, James Ryan, uh, Peter Omani, Kalen Doris, Josh van der Fleer. Um, those are some of the players that are just absolutely like just taking bodies away um, and, and clearing bodies away when they need that quick ball. So it just means that Ireland is getting that two seconds or less ball at every ruck and then it, they're just running against a disorganized attack. So they are just looking so good right now. And, you know, we... I wavered in my belief in Ireland because they didn't. The Leinster team didn't look good in those um, URC knockout game in the semi-final and in the Champions Cup final when they played against the big opposition. But you know, New Zealand doesn't offer them those um, challenges, fortunately. So they were just able to dictate everything. You know, it it 
but it wasn't just their attack. You know, we saw with their rolling mall that they were able to get tries through that method as well. You know, they were able to put pressure on, onto New Zealand in the scrum. They were able to put pressure on New Zealand in defense as well. And just apart from pretty much, there was only two 20-minute periods in the first and the third test where New Zealand was able to get some go-forward ball and, and were able to run, run riot. Apart from that, there was nothing that um, New Zealand really couldn't touch them. And I think this score does reflect um, the, the, the gap between these two teams at the moment. So then that brings us to the New Zealand side of things and the post-mortem that's starting. Um, <laughs> yeah, Cooks, I, I, I don't know. I think, I don't know if we want to go constructive or we just want to slander the All Blacks um, for a few moments because we really get this opportunity as fans of other teams around the world to be able to poke fun at the, at the All Blacks. Um, sure, Cooks, I mean, it sounds like Ian Foster's going to keep his job. So, yeah, I, I, I'm going to throw it to, uh, as an open question to you. What, what must New Zealand do in the next few weeks um, preparing to go to South Africa for a two-match series? Um, how can they even try to get some sort of like organization and fix you know, all the things that are going wrong with their rugby at the moment? I mean, as I, as I said in the breakdown last night, they're having a review after, review, after having a review in November, two days in this year, two, three days in this year, they're having another review. So I don't know, I don't know what they're reviewing, but um, oh, geez, I think it's dark times there. But like it's, it's weird to me because there's, you look at the squad and there's so many great players and, 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 and it's been able to take them out of a get jail free card. And now I just think there's, there's something there. There's, I think there's something in the camp that, 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 that may not be right because, you know, that those good 15 minutes in the first test and they won, and then in the two tests, they just seem to have to have fallen apart. You know, they're, they're back to 15 players this week, and then it just, it's, it, at stages, at times, the old blacks just look blunt. And, and I never thought I'd ever say that in the tech, they just look blunt. You sort of look at the two trousers, it's, it's already putting Tim on his back, it's already putting Will Jordan through and, and creating something out of nothing. And for the first time, for me, like seeing watch the Olympics, I just felt like they had no threat besides either they're going to create something out of nothing, but they just took plant. And, and it felt like whenever Iron walked in the 22, they were going to score a try. And the All Blacks, you're like, once they go to put more than five phases, like, it's also never going to score. Like, how are they going to score a try? Like, it's like, what's going to happen? And I never, ever thought I'd master the words of the All Blacks are plant. I think Ian Foster keep his job. I think they may be. Wanting to make even more history, I think the only, the only thing he hasn't done now is, is, is lose the bladers low. I think that's the, that's the final straw. If he loses that, then I can't, I I don't know. Yeah, and there's so many things that are wrong with the All Blacks right now. Let's just start with the centers. How many times did the All Blacks just confuse um, either Rico Ioane, um with Quintupai or Rico Ioane with David Havili? A lot of the backline tries that the that the Irish scored was from some sort of like just um, dummy lines and screen lines and all that sort of stuff. And they just exploited the New Zealand uh, midfield um, throughout. They exploited the fact that Bowden Barrett is not defending at 10. So there's a bit of a makeshift um, ability there in their, in their defense. They exploited so many things. Like that one try that they scored, uh, I think it was the Henshaw try. There was a three-phase three move. And in the third phase, they ended with, nine players for Ireland on one side of the pitch 
against four all black defenders. So that's not obviously only the problem of the of the New Zealand midfield, but it just shows the the how easy it was for Ireland to um, to really expose that gap in, in, in the All Black defence. So they're just able to manipulate the, the New Zealand defence. And I think the last, I mean, their last five games for um, the All Blacks were against Ireland four times and the French. And those are two of the best attacks in the world right now. And those two attacks just showed how easy it is to manipulate the All Black defence. So either you can do it up front if you're able to front up to them and just they didn't even try to defend the rolling more, but with their backline defense as well, or they just their general play defense, you know, it'll take a few phases just to wait, but someone's going to make a mistake or someone's going to mock the wrong man. And then you'll be able to go through easily. And then the other thing, and we've talked about this many times, is this just, it's a team of individuals right now, cooks. Um, we were talking in, in a good way about Adi Sevilla trying to win single-handedly, but he had to because there's no other plan coming from um, Ian Foster. It just seemed like once the All Blacks went 22 points to three down, that it became, you know, um, you know, break time touch rugby um, in, in the middle, uh, in, in between the morning and the afternoon periods at school. It wasn't now the structured approach. And they did try to like offer a structured approach in the, in, in the first half and were trying to exploit the kicking game and, and the aerial game and, and, and use Jordy Barrett and Walt Jordan in that way. But once that wasn't working, they just fully threw that in the, in the trash and they, they were just trying to play whatever was in front of them. So that's, I think that's probably the most concerning thing for the NZR and the coaching staff that structure fell, I mean, whatever structure that they had, it fell very quickly away um, when the pressure was on. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what's concerning about the All Blacks. As soon as the pressure comes on, they sort of just turn to, okay, we, now we're going to run everything and then sort of, Try and win games from there, which is when I watch some of the games, like when I watch this game on Saturday, it reminds me of 2001, 2009 All Blacks when we beat them three times. Just we just put them under pressure and they'll try to run everything from 22 and hope and hope that the Rococos Suvatu will score. And now this year, so we fast forward that again, it just looked like all they did was like Brian Brashen do something, um, uh, Steve Reese will do something, um, or Jordan will kiss around nothing, and it's just, or Audi will do something, and you're like. You play against a touchdown like Ireland, and, 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 and because it's but that was their players are so good that they, it normally does kill them on the jail. But now I'm like, Ireland is not leaving them in the door at at all. And I'm like, the All Blacks they can't carry on like this. And either something's going to change and maybe bring a different attack coach or things like that. But they can't keep going to this pattern for another year with the World Cup away, a year away. So who are they going to call? Is the call going to go to? Um, our favorite break dancer, uh, Scott Robertson. Is it going to go to uh, Joe Schmidt? Is it going to go to Wayne, um, Warren Gatland? Who do you think, if there is a call, because I think they, if at the very least I can bet on some changes to the coaching staff, if not a change to the head coach himself, himself. But who do you think will get that call from the NZR in the next few weeks? I think I think we'll see Joe Schmidt being involved a lot more. I think Joe Schmidt was the guy. I think Mella, massive fan of Razor. But I do think 18 months out, you, you still need a bit of experience. Someone who's taken a national side to a World Cup, and I think George Smith's the guy. And then come 2024, I restart a game with Razor. Yeah, I would, if I'm the All Blacks, I would get a signature for Razor for 2024 now um, before the likes of England, um, 
possibly the Springboks, maybe whoever tries to sign um, Scott Robertson for 2024. He's made his um, intentions clear that he's willing to work with any team <laughs> if, if they're willing to, to pay him. So I think that should be something that they watch out for. Okay, let's go on to the Wallabies versus England um, test series. And I think in some ways, obviously England wins. Um, they were able to win, especially through their strong defense. Um, their big players like Courtney Laws, Oren Farrell, and um, Freddie Stewart stood up. But I think there's a there's some positive still to be taken for the Wallabies as well. Um, just, yeah, they had some soft moments where they let some tries through or weren't able to capitalize on pressure. But I think they would say that throughout the three test series, they had, you know, as many strong moments as England did. So, Cooks, what's the assessment of these two teams? They're pretty much on similar rankings now in, in the in the world rugby rankings. They it does seem like there's that this is the division point between the contenders and the serious contenders for the World Cup next year and the dark horses. Um the, the, the line is between England and Australia, and it just depends on what's happening and what Eddie Jones is clicking at a certain week where, where each team falls. So what, what's your assessment of those two teams after this series? I think, for, I think the Wallabies, they, they're still growing pains there. They're still young. Um, I thought the first 20 minutes that they first scored about three trials on Saturday and, and, and ended that game. But I think the Wallabies, you, you can see this, the steps being moving forward and I'm, I'm just worried the Wallabies. They seem to put their, their best performance together when they when they're down to 14 men. So maybe they must get a red card early and just and just and, and just play like that. But um, England, I think with Eddie, I think for him will be happy with the tour. Um, guys like Billy came back, um, Marco von Apolo, and also guys like um, like Freeman came on, and and Danny K came back on to try a new nine. So they were able to mix up with the youth and experience. So I think. Um, for England, you can sort of see the odd glimpses there of, of of them going forward. And I know everyone is like ready to write off Marcus Marcus Smith after the week one and and this new game plan. But I do think that England are cooking something, and I do think that they they know they're not they, they haven't started to roast yet. I think I think Tyler, you know the few Oxes who are in this England camp and just knowing how good they can be and like we get cooked every week on Twitter because the performances have, haven't lived up to but I do think England are in the process of sort of putting this out together and piecing something there and just something there. Yeah, England is not far off. I think the defence that was shown here it was more direct these last two games. Um, you know, England is, it's, it's a fine line for England. They, they, they're quite similar to South Africa in this way that when they're good, they're able to just needle and just irritate their opposition and get a reaction from them. And when they're not good, they're the ones reacting to stuff and they're the ones like just, you know, conceding stupid penalties and red cards and all that sort of stuff because they like to play on the edge. And you can see now that the likes of Genge, um, Owen Farrell, those people, you know, you know how they celebrate their penalties in England and just like ruffle someone's hair or do Johnny Hill lying, cheating, and stealing things. I think Johnny Hill's new nickname should be Eddie Guerrero. The amount of lying, cheating, and stealing that he's doing throughout the series has been amazing. Like in that Freddie Stewart try, he was holding um, Samu Karevi um, and stopping him from, from um, putting in a cover tackle there. And we know what he did in the first two tests as well. So he's been a, a peak, he's been peak with, the, with, with that sort of like um, messing around there. And yeah, England is just, the structure's coming together now. Um, the attack is coming together. 
and they maybe are seeing that they can get a lot more from a center like Guy Porter than they could from um, Joe Marchant. That's unfortunate for you know myself and Sean as big Joe Marchant fans. Jack von Poorfleet has been a good revelation for England. He's just his service is so quick and crisp, so he's able to get that ball quick out to those two pivots. And once um, Farrell and Smith work their their chemistry out, I think that this is a team that can that you can watch out for. So. I think they have, it's almost perfect for them. They have just the right number of games to work out um, what they need to do in the next few tests. Okay, so let's, we'll, we'll just cover very quickly the other um, games. Um, Scotland lost in the last minutes, or Argentina was able to win the test series in the last minute with a, lo- with a corner try for um, um, Emiliano Buffelli that he scored in the, in the corner there. Um, we also mentioned that um, we had also wins for Georgia against Portugal and Uruguay against Romania. Um, when you talk about the tier two nations, but the big news is Chile's win over U- the United States of America. And to put that into perspective, the aggregate score between Chile and the USA before um, this these two legs for the qualification was US two hundred thirty odd points to Chile's forty points. Um, Cooks, it just shows that. And we'll, we'll probably have to do a lot more research as to what happened and why and all that sort of stuff. But Chile has definitely got gotten a few things right, and them being able to beat both Canada and the US to qualify for the World Cup, they've they've done something amazing there. That's definitely the the story of the weekend is them Chile in the World Cup. But I know in my old company we did a little, a little bit of work with Chilean rugby and it's gotten and it has been improving the clubs the club structures there and sort of seeing, but. I did not see them going into, into a World Cup or it, but for me, it's a, it's a fantastic achievement. And I think they're going to add something something different to the World Cup and just, and just what a beautiful story that's going to be. Yeah, and like we said, shout out to Rodrigo Fernandez. Um, he, he's scoring a, uh, he's making a brilliant break or scoring a brilliant try every week. So, Cooks, I think just to start wrapping up on this, um, let's talk about the state of international rugby right now. It does seem like it's as competitive as it's ever been and it's, you know, each team feels like they can beat another team at, at, at every week. But let's try and see if we can organize the teams into three categories um, for 2023 Rugby World Cup. The contenders, so the teams that we think have a very good chance of winning the Rugby World Cup, that should be a bit disappointed if they're not at least in the final. Um, the dark horses, the ones that are like, oh, things go well for us, we can get into a final, and then who knows. And then the pretenders, the ones that are not really in this conversation, really. So let's start with the contenders. Um, Cooks, who do you think are the teams that are like, you know, it's World Cup final or bust for us with the way our team is right now? I think it's hard to look past Ireland. I think Ireland, South Africa, France, and then All Blacks, England are in that. I know everyone's, the All Blacks, obviously, in the in the trenches right now, but they, they still have good enough team to sort of get get themselves and to find themselves in the World Cup final. But I think the leading candidates at the moment, I think 2023 was, form was, it's hard to look past England, Ireland, and Springboks in in that in that container. I think those two are, lead, are the three leading containers. Yeah, I think you're you're correct there. I think France still can can grow because they have just a, such a young team. Ireland's still working things out. The Springboks are also putting new things into their game. The Springboks are probably still the team that I trust the most to win a one-off game. Like if someone had to win a game for your life, I think it's the Springboks at the moment. 
Um, but the other two teams and New Zealand, England are, are well, maybe not New Zealand, but the other three teams are still getting their things together. The All Blacks hopefully are just a coach and a few selection issues and a game plan away from, from putting themselves at top tier. So then I think that second tier probably is, is Wales and Australia and maybe Scotland. What do you think? Yeah, for me, I think it's yeah, Wales, Scotland, Argentina always seem to turn up in in these random in these in these random World Cups. I think with Michael Chicker there, I think they're in it mixed. But I think Australia, Wales, I think Australia's leading that that second charge for me. Yeah, and you can see that, you know, on their day, they've got such a well organized attack. They've fixed, I think, a lot of their issues. It's just a concentration thing mostly that they can just withst- like play well for 80 minutes instead of playing well for 40, 50 minutes. And you can see that's how a young team is. Wales, they're always a difficult team to beat when, when, when it comes to these sorts of um, games. I don't know. Maybe Scotland isn't really in this conversation and Argentina. You can see from their game, as entertaining as it was, and it was good that both coaches were trying new and different combinations, that the discipline was just not quite there for them to really contest against um, the best team. So maybe they're in that almost like also ran category with, you know, the Italy's, the Georgia's, the Fiji's, um, the, the, the Tonga's as well. Yeah. hundred percent. I think, I think, yeah, Scotland, every time I put hope in Scotland, they let me down, but um, I think Argentina have the potential to be slightly better. But I'm interested to see how they go in the rugby championship. I think they're all set the tone. I think Argentina is, like you said, one moment they're amazing, the next moment they just find ways to use rugby games. Like, the, like the, they could beat the Springboks in, in one weekend and then the next week it looked like, it might look like they've never played rugby before. But so it's going to be interesting what Michael Checker does in, in that side. But I do think that Argentina Wales are just slightly not as good. I think Australia and, and Wales are slightly ahead of the Argent- Argentina and Scotland. Yeah, I think that that's a good way to summarize it. Cooks, um, I don't know if you have enough time to talk to us about your experience in Bloemfontein with a certain Springbok wing. Would you have enough time? <laughs> yeah, I can, I'll quickly give a quick wrap. Um, obviously, you've having been to, done quite a bit of work with Brian for Superpix and Supersport, so, it's, so, so obviously I'll swim after the game. We were chatting, and this, and this kid came, um, obviously came from the stand, came running in away from his parents, a bit of a streaker, came in and asked me for a picture, uh, uh, for a signature. So he went to Brian, signed, a, signed an autograph with Brian. And then, so he came to me wanting an autograph as well. But then before, so I initially thought he came to to come and ask for an autograph because of my videos. He said to me, are you the coach of Springboks? And before I said, yes, Brian. Brian said, yes, I am one of the coaches. And I also, <laughs> so, you also, so I signed his ball. You know, I'm wearing a... Just a black jacket, jeans, and a Springbok jersey. I mean, have you ever seen one of the Springbok <laughs> coaches wear a jersey in the middle of the, you let me know. So signed his ball for him. He left. Um, and, I, and I think on Monday, he must have been distraught when he went to tell his friends that he got a, a picture from the Springbok coach and they saw my face on it. <laughs> Please tell me you at least signed it as Ninaba or Stick or Davis or something like that and not as Cooks. No, nah, 100% signed as Cooks. 1,000%. <laughs> <laughs> No man, now this oh this poor child is now really gonna go to school and these his friends are gonna be like, What are you talking about? This guy's not a coach. 
Or at least the coach of the Springboks. I was too scared to sign it as a jog, you know, but I've just I've just managed to to, to crack with the note to to go to Bokans. I can't now use it for for fraud. So <laughs> let me just uh, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me just let me just put my signature on there. <laughs> no, maybe it was a scheme. Maybe it was something. It was a person trying to test you and try to catch you out for fraud. Who knows? But it looks like the the. And it's funny now that the kids don't even know Brian Abana. They want Brian Abana to be taking photos of you now. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, Brian, so Brian did say to me that uh, I must remember that he's a 100 camp Springbok. I'm like, I, I know, Brian, don't worry. I'll definitely not forget that. Oh, my goodness. No, so this is definitely the home of the podcast of personalities that are more famous than Brian Abana. And ladies and gentlemen, I think with that, we can end this um, podcast Thank you so much for everyone that has uh, that has supported us. Please um, visit our Rugby Bits website. Go to our social media pages as well to see what what's going on. Um, please like and, and 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 share this podcast with with the rest of the rugby world. Please go visit bit.co.za for all of the interesting markets. I'm sure there'll be markets also for the rugby championship coming up as well. Cooks, thank you so much for helping to steer the ship. Um, the two man squad, the seven squad, was able to. To, to play well, I think we can get at least a middle placing in the Commonwealth Games. And even a yeah, play, we will see. Even a play, even a play finals, great. <laughs> I think a player, at least a play finals, maybe not necessarily <laughs> a cup final. <laughs> but yeah, we're, we're definitely the plate finals of, of, of podcasts right now. But yes, we will see you in the next podcast. Bye bye.